The sermon that you are about to view is not a replacement of your participation and commitment to a local church, but we do hope it blesses you. a talkative bunch. Mark's my name. I'm glad you're here. Welcome people joining us on the internet. We're glad you're with us. Turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Everybody loves new beginnings. We love new years. We love new babies. We love getting a, a new chance to start again. And I want to talk to you today about God who gives us way more than the first or second or third chance. He just continues to pour His grace on us. And as we look at the book of Joshua, you'll see a number of things that I think are little snippets, little, little, little snapshots of certain things that we can learn from. I want to talk to you about that today. And to start off, uh, page 208 is Joshua chapter 1. Let's stand in respect to what we're reading, God's Word to us, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then you are to take all these people and, and get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them, the Israelites. I'll give you every place where, that you set your foot, as I have promised Moses. Your territory will, intent in, uh, will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, all through the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses... So I will also be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Notice now the number of times he says courageous. Okay? Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written within. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lord, what a great promise to us. You are with us. You, you, you promise that not only that, you'll be our helper. And, and you challenge us to be courageous. In a world of fear and anxiety and busy we now see a whole new way of doing things with you. Lord, teach us today what you're asking us to do. And our commitment is, before you even speak, we want to say yes and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So he, here's Joshua, the son of Nun, who was uh, Moses' right-hand guy. He was one of the 12 spies sent out. Remember them? Two said yes, 10 said no. Israelites didn't take the promised land as they were supposed to. So that generation all died. And now we're right back to the same place again. And with a different leader. A new leader. Joshua. And he is appointed to take Israel into the promised land. And also divide it up within the 12 tribes. 
And so it's, it's, it, this, is, this is tremendous. And, and there's so many things that we could talk about through Joshua. I have to kind of apologize to have to hurry through a little bit and talk about just the ones that we're going to because it, it's so rich. You need to, to really spend some time in this book. But I want to talk about the new generation lesson first. By that I mean there's generational sin. I want to explain this. Generational sin that often attacks us and we don't understand it. And, and that is that when, when uh, uns, unresolved problems of sins of a generation continues to pop up and plague the next generation, this is what the Scripture talks about with generational sin. Many times when there's parents and grandparents that have an anger problem, it gets passed on to the kids. Even though kids say, I know, I know what they're like and I'll never do that. They all, we always get sucked into this because it's generational. It's something that spiritually needs to be cut off and, and, uh, and, dis, and destroyed. When, when parents are deceitful, children learn to do that. And it isn't simply that. There's a spiritual issue going on that drives us to sin. But I am living proof that God asks us and will, uh, will, has promised to bless us if we turn to confess and repent of that and step away from it. A number of years ago, just so you know, I'm going to share some stuff with you. I've got permission from my parents to do that because I don't want to belittle anybody. But I want to make sure that you understand this is, this is, we understand this in the Francisco family. A number of years ago, I found out, my dad was, and I were driving from Vancouver to Saskatchewan. I was going to help my brother on the farm for the harvest. And so we had hours. And I said, you know, Dad, I, I don't even know much about you when you grew up and what's going on. And, and so he started, and over the next 14 hours or whatever it was, we just talked about this. I should say, I just listened. My great-great-grandparents came from the deep south. They were landowners back then, and with all that went with the racism of plantations and everything else, that's where they lived, and they were leaders in that. My great-great, or whatever it is, how many greats, grandfather ran away with his coachman's pregnant 17-year-old daughter, came to Canada. Other grandparents on the other side was all about alcoholism and rampant anger and rage and uh, just, just a problem, inappropriate sexuality, alcoholism, and, and, and more. And my dad talked talk to me about when he started dating my mom, he did not want some of her stuff, because it was ugly, and some of his stuff, as they looked at their genealogy in their past, to in any way influence them or their kids. And they're already talking about this. And so dad, I said, so what'd you do? He said, well, one day the Holy Spirit was telling me, go to the chapel. So he got alone in the chapel. He was in Bible school at the time, Berean Bible College. And he said, Lord, I don't want this. What do I do? And this is the prayer that the Holy Spirit gave him. It all stops here. It all stops here. It may well have influence in the past, but my dad prayed. It all stops here. Whatever I need to do, I want to make sure this does not go on to my children. Confession and repentance. The struggle is we need to make a decision if we are going to stop this cycle. My dad made that decision on, on my behalf before I was born. And you and I need to realize we can stop the cycle of sin in our genealogy and in our family if we want to. And that is how to do this? You have to make this mammoth decision. We need to decide to love. Who we need to decide to love? Our sin or our children? And it's that obvious. It's that exact. Because when we do nothing but say, well, I'll, I'll try a little harder... We pass this stuff on to our kids. What we need to do is own it, what is ours. What isn't ours, we don't have to own. 
But secondly, we need to repent of the things that draw us into the realm of the evil one and where he rules. And Christ followers, I say to you and myself, we declare certain things. We don't hope or wish or pray it. We repent, we confess, and we go on. Changed people. Because of the Holy Spirit within us. So the decision is to make, it it, it all stops here. And if, if you folks haven't taken the set free, that set free seminar that we run teaches you how to do this stuff. The book of Joshua starts off, it's a new start with a new leader, and they started, rather than starting and then doing the exact same thing that their ancestors did, the people, the leaders, and the people themselves said, no, we're not going there. We want to serve God. And God answered their prayer. And therefore, they took over the promised land, which the people of Israel this very day inhabit. And uh, there's a little bit more, but we'll talk about that a little later. Be strong and very courageous. Take the land, but also take the biblical life of your own genealogy and your family and turn it around for good, God says. Well, let's look at some of those snapshots of how the Israelites did and how I think we need to do this. Chapter 2 is about Jericho and the two spies that were sent out and they met a woman named Rahab who was a prostitute. Now, first you're thinking, oh boy, we're back to that again. No, prostitution also often would have be connected with hotels back then or a room, an extra room on the side. So there was nothing bad about this in this case. I'm not telling you to run out and, and go to hotels that you know hookers are hanging around with. I'm not telling you about that. What I'm saying is that, that this Rahab prostitute opened her life and she could have been killed for this because she protected the Israelites. She trusted God, and God forgave her and put on her, put on her a whole new trajectory of her life, the result of that she was part of the genealogy of Jesus himself. I love that. God not only, only, only just forgives us and everything else, but he doesn't stick us in a corner somewhere. He says, I will celebrate your greatness and goodness and change. And he stopped the generation stuff going on in Rahab's life. Wonderful. Chapter 3. This, this is where the first step lesson has been introduced scripturally. Now, to understand that, we need to understand God was going to do something completely surprising for Israel on this day. But God's people have to do something first. Chapter 3, starting in verse 2. It says, And after three days the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders for the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, can we put in a picture the Ark of the Covenant up, please? When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out into positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never known this way before, God God says. Verse 5. So Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Go down to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Let's stop there. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that isn't a picture of it. No, it's been lost. We don't really know. There's a number of other ways. But here's the deal. It's a big box made of acacia wood, and that's important. We'll talk about it another time, with the angels on the top, and this is called the mercy seat. This is in the Holy of Holies. If you were in the Temple of Jerusalem, you would have seen this. This is what David brought into Jerusalem. It's a, it's a, a box that is gold-laden, with gold and all, everything else, and inside it is the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that were broken by Moses and the other Ten Commandments. In other words, heavy deal. 
Okay? Now, here's the deal. The, the, the Levites, the priests, these poles out here, you either have one or two guys, sometimes just one. And in other words, adding four, one on each of these, or two, you could have eight. And the priests, you didn't put this on a cart as David did, and there was death because of that. You don't UPS this. This is carried by the Levites. That's important that you understand that. And it was God's provision. This is called the mercy seat. The very presence of God was on this. Now, after Pentecost, God's presence went from here to each of us as people, right? And we now are the temple of God, the living temple of God. That's what the church is. But for back then, in God's revelation, as he's teaching them who he is and who we are, this is his, his presence went with this. Now, understanding that, you need some pictures. Let's go get some pictures. Please. The first one is Mount uh, um, Hebron. Oh, Hermon, sorry. Mount Hermon. And, and you can see up here, they actually ski for about two weeks in Israel. Cool. Let's go to the next side. And in fact, we're going to go to this side around here and look up on the same thing, except this was in July or something. No snow. And uh, the, the, uh, there's, a, there's a crusader castle on the top of this. It's, and now if you were standing there t looking at this, just turn your gaze this way, you'll see this picture. Caesarea Philippi. This is where they worship Pan, half goat, half man. They had uh, prostitution here, uh, temple prostitution. They also have sexual uh, activity with goats. And it was just the most evil place. The rabbis said that when the Messiah comes, he will destroy this place. And Jesus went there. He didn't destroy it, but he went there with his disciples and talked a whole bunch. You need to come with me to Israel. We go to this place, and it's, it's just wonderful. Uh, we're going in May and October. you got to come. Anyhow, let's go to the next. Oh, okay, now we're looking at this. Now turn to the left, and you'll see this. Let's go to the next one. Out from under Mount Hermon, there's three or four rivers like this that are coming out of the bottom of that mountain. Let's go to the next one. This is the start of the Jordan River. It goes through the tribe of Dan. This is the next one, please. And there's a whole bunch of uh, irrigation that happens. And what we were looking at before is to the left-hand side. That's where Mount Hermon is. Let's go to the next one. And the next one. It just shows you. That this is how the Israel... The Jordan River meanders. It's about 100 miles, actually, but it takes 200 miles to get there because it goes back and forth. All kinds of vegetation. Let's go on. And all kinds of rocks, as you can see. Let's go on. There's, it's running now into the Sea of Galilee, and I think I have one or two more if you want to put them there. God has a huge surprise for Israel on this day, but Israel needs to step out on its own. Okay? Verse 14. And when, so when the people broke camp and crossed the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage. Flood stage. I want to talk to you about flood stage. Let's go. Talk about uh, the first step. The Zor, please. This is a normal place where the, where the river would run. Every river's got this. Mississippi, Saskatchewan River. They all got this. Now, the problem is when it starts with all kinds of, uh, uh, all kinds of extra water, it's created, it creates a zor out here. So it rushes by. And most every place that you, you go by, most every rivers have this. Simple. And it's kind of a river before the river. Now, because it was at flood stage, we know that the river was way out here. Not here. Now, right now, if you and I go to the Jordan River in Israel, it would be about from me to you wide because it's all used up by the time it ever gets into the land much because of irrigation and, and the people need the water and everything else. 
So there's hardly anything going into the Dead Sea, and as a result of that, the Dead Sea is dying, actually. Now, I want you to see this. Now, I want you to take a peek at that, uh, that uh, Ark of the Covenant again. There's two dudes out here leading this thing. This is all covered. There's two guys here. They're told to step into the Jordan. Okay, do you know what kind of step they had to make? It's probably 8, 10 feet. Now, let's go back. These people didn't have uh, su uh, swimming classes. They got a gold box that's pretty heavy with a bunch of tablets in it, which is even heavier, and they're supposed to carry this thing. These guys are, are desert dwellers. And God says, Put, take step in first. Have you noticed that God often asks us to step in before he does anything? Where's your Jordan River today? We all have some. Some Jordan River is dealing with a sad thing that's happening in your family or a medical issue or a financial issue. Some of you have married your Jordan. Some of you have uh, watched your, a great friend that is being, the, her, her, his or her Jordan is, work is such a terrible place for you. God asks us to step into those places. Are you stepping? Have you noticed that he says, as you step in first, then I will come behind you with, your, with my presence? You see, we need to understand following Jesus is a faith walk. And he uses the Jordans of our life to teach us what it is to step out in faith. The question is, will you and I trust God enough, in spite of our fear, to choose to be courageous? And step out wherever God asks us to step out and go. Are you willing? He's asking you today to make certain commitments. Whether that's against the genealogy of your family. Or maybe it's against the very way you've been raised. The Jordans of life teach us what it is to be faith-filled with God. Now, secondly, the second point that I want, to, want you to see, number one, it's to step in. The second point is to step into Jordan together. I want to show me that picture of me standing in a Jordan. A number of years ago, one of the first times I was there, the rabbi that I was with was teaching me for the first time a whole bunch of stuff, and he picked one of us uh, from the group, this big burly weightlifter guy, and he picked him. He said, I want you to walk across the Jordan River there. And it, it, was, at, it was one of these places, except that it had all narrowed, and it was really rushing. And I'm going, okay, he's going to see Jesus. <laughs> and the guy started, he went out there and he, he's, he's slipping around because there's this, it's not slimy stuff, it's silty stuff and it's really, it's really slippery. And he's going like this. He said, okay, come on back. Like he, you know, you dope. He said, come on back. And I thought, well, and then he said, okay, you and you, just pick two guys, normal guys. And they, they started again, doing the same thing, started again. And then they got all slippery and, 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 and afraid, and they reached out for each other. And the rabbi says, there it is. You never enter a Jordan alone. Never. God never calls us to enter, and they call it, they call the Jordan River chaos. See all that white stuff? That's, that, that's what is the example. Uh, or if you put water in a blender and hit, hit, uh, hit go, that's the picture of what the rabbis believe is chaos. And chaos is, you could even say, above sin for them. Okay, it's just, 
You never enter chaos alone. Remember God, remember Jesus, sorry, sent his disciples out, how many of them? Two. Always two. You never go alone. And here we think, oh, it's just got to be me and Jesus. That's it. You are never sent into the Jordan River of life alone. Number one, God will meet you there. But number two, you always have someone with you. Now that means that this is why we talk about our small groups so much. This is why we do uh, gatherings, and this is why we do relational things, so you and I can develop some friends. I think one of the most spiritual things some of us need to do today is find a friend. And then you can do life together. But you see, sometimes we either get proud or we get busy or whatever else, and we don't have time for small groups. Oh, you know, I just can't do it. Well, then repent. Get rid of something. Because you need relationships with skin on them. It isn't just good enough to have you and Jesus. God's made others to be in your life so that when we go into the Jordans, we can hang on to each other. Before I blow a gasket, I better go on. <laughs> God uses Jordans to test our faith and to prove His faithfulness in us. And the barriers in our lives become blessings and benchmarks of God's goodness. No big deal for some of us, but for me, graduating from high school is a big deal because i got a reading problem. I mean, I'm fine on the football field when you don't have to read. And then I heard from God in one of the neatest times of my life. I was sitting at the library. I was at Briarcrest High School, Karenport. Some of you would know it as. And God spoke to me, and I'm thinking, I'm looking around thinking, what in the world is that? Yeah. And God wanted me to get educated. And I didn't want to get educated. I wanted to go play football. And he's helped me. I said, yes, I'll do it. Which meant school and preparing. Many times we don't want to go into the Jordan because it's going to take a lot of preparation. And God's going to ask us to do some very difficult things with his help, but very difficult things. The Jordans will test our faith and prove his faithfulness over and over. Another principle is God will meet us in the middle of the Jordan. Chapter 3, verse 17 says, the, the Levites are supposed to go with the ark of God into the very middle of the Jordan and stand there, and everyone goes by them. The very presence of God. God will meet us in the middle of our Jordan. Two of my friends have talked to me in the last few days. One friend whose spouse has just left them said, Mark, I have never experienced God's presence like I am right now. Wow. Sorrow and guilt and all the rest that has, is piled up against him, he has repented and God is so present in his life. My other friend's a pastor from Calgary and his wife, she might be 40, had a stroke. And it's really bad. They have decided as a couple that they will do what the Scripture says and be thankful in all situations. And so every time, every day, they make a little list of things they're thankful for. They have four kids, little kids. He said to me, and I quote, The transcending peace of God that protects us has come upon us. It started with our choice to be thankful. Your step first 
to be thankful. And then God does this. Isn't that the way of God? And don't you, believe, don't you just know it would be easier any other way? He always waits until we step in. It'd be way easier. I need, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask him that. But that's the way of God. There's another principle here that I want you to see, which is this. There's the always remember lesson in Joshua chapter 4. Let's go there. Joshua 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the tribes, one for every tribe of the 12 tribes, and uh, they tell them to go back in the Jordan, go to the middle of where the priests are standing, and pick up a rock. Now that's a little gnarly. I mean, honest. You're going, we just got through this Jordan River thing. We hate water. We just got through it. Now you're asking us to go back? What he's doing is he's asking you and I to go back as well. And we're supposed to go back to bring other people out. God says, not only do I want you to go back or through the Jordan, I will use the Jordans that you go through so that you can go back and help other people through. Can you put that picture of me with a, yeah, with a rock? I sat on that color, white colored rock to, right by my knee and the rabbi was speaking. And actually you can see his elbow, I think, on the far left. You see that? Bad picture, but anyhow. And as I was sitting here, he was talking to me about the Jordans of my life that I haven't even experienced yet. And the question was, will you trust me? Yeah. I sat right there and I said, yes, I will. And then he said, and will you keep getting people through the Jordans and going back for more and more who are somehow stuck on the wrong side of the Jordan? And I said, yes. And I reached down and I picked up this rock. It's in my office now as a reminder. My responsibility, one of the things God calls me to do is to go through the Jordans of life with people who don't have Jesus yet and show them Jesus. And our church needs to be a church that shows people how the Jordans of life create strength in our faith. It proves our faith and it proves the faithfulness of God. And so I started thanking God for the Jordans of life. And I do this and remind, I was pouting the other day, thinking, you know, this is going to be hard getting this building program done. How's God going to do that? And God spoke to me in my office, and I had to go back to this very rock and to say, okay, this reminds me about the Jordan Rivers. Okay, I'm with you. I wish you'd do it differently, but I guess if that's how you're going to do it, that's, that's fine. Some of you and I need rocks as reminders. We have reminders that we're married to somebody because we wear rings. Those of us that are married, it's a ring. I got one on this hand too. This is a reminder that the Lord is my shepherd. It's in Hebrew. It's written on this. I got my hands covered. Do you need some things to, as a reminder what God has done for you? Sometimes we have great forgetters. Some of you have mezuzahs on your house. Good for you. We've got a guy in our church who's a, who serves... Uh, at a restaurant, and he's got a cross right here. I said, that's a kind of an unusual place to put a tattoo. He said, when I serve people, they can see who I'm about. Isn't that interesting? It's way better than putting something on the back of your honk if you love Jesus. They don't love Jesus, but they're honking at your driving. <laughs> that's a way better idea than that. Just, just saying, just saying. Some of you wear necklaces with crosses. You are saying, I am a Christ follower. Keep it up. Keep it up. 
and keep going back in to help other people get out of there. Let's look at some life lessons from Joshua. Just here and there. Let me give you five scenarios, and I'll ask the question, will we obey God when? Okay? It's in your outline if you're you're taking some notes. Number one, will we obey God when it looks like the wrong timing? In Joshua 3.15, it says, Now the Jordan was overflowing. Why didn't we get here a week earlier? Why didn't we get here a month earlier? No, no, no. God waits until the flood comes. Then he sends us into the Jordan. And some people often say, I know this isn't God's will because the timing looks wrong. It looks hard or difficult to do. God is not looking for easy. He's looking for faithful. It's it's always the right time to obey God, even though it looks like it's wrong timing at times. What is God saying? What is God doing? Secondly, will we obey when it doesn't make sense? Chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. Now, this gives a little peek into through the 40 years in the wilderness, they didn't continue with certain... uh, 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 ceremonial things. One was circumcision of guys. Verse 5, or chapter 5. Now when all the Ammonite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River before the Israelites, so they crossed over, their hearts melted. They no longer had any courage to face the Israelites. The battle's done. They're done. So we're all ready. Okay, good. At that time, why a month earlier? No, but now at that time, God says, I want you to circumcise the Israelite men again. Really? So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at this place. Why didn't you do that while we were on this side of the Jordan? You got 40,000 men who were warriors. Now they can't fight. They sit around and groan. Now you wait till we get on this side of the Jordan in the backyard of the Philistines and then you ask us to do this? Bad timing. Have you ever said to God bad timing? I've often said to God, bad timing. He proves me wrong over and over. Bad timing. It doesn't make sense. And many people say, because it doesn't seem easy, this is not the will of God. Sometimes God is the, is the hardest thing for us to do. That's what he's asking us. Here's some couple things that don't make sense. It makes no sense to be forgiving. They, didn't, they don't deserve to be forgiven. That's just the truth. Jesus says, forgive. Serving other people rather than in yourself. Doesn't make sense. Jesus says, serve. Honoring your parents. Following biblical sexuality laws and process. Submitting to your spouse. Giving finances to poor people. There's there's a big list. It doesn't make sense but it is the way of Jesus. And that's why we follow, right? Thirdly, will we obey God when it makes me look goofy? Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly uh, shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in or out. The Lord came to Joshua and said, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with this king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do that for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of the rams of uh, the Lord in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear it, a long blast of trumpets, all the people are to give a great big shout. 
Then the law of the city, uh, the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go in and they will ransack the city. Are you kidding me? Can you just see all the guys in the tent? They're, he's got all of his military advisors, general so-and-so. And, and uh, Okay, this is the plan. We're going to go and walk around the city. That'll get him. You betcha. Here we go. And now the, the city, we're, we're sitting here on about five acres of land. The city was about six acres. So you walk around once, and that was fun. Okay, now we'll just sit here, watch a little TV, and wait for the next day, and we'll walk around again. Yes! Doesn't that seem just a little stupid for the military guys? And then we're going to shout? And it happened. And the wall fell. Wow. There's times that being a Christian makes us look goofy. Some of you don't want to hand any of these out because it'll make you look goofy. Invitations for our Christmas Eve. It could just bring someone to faith. Are you and I willing to look goofy for Jesus? Now, sometimes we look goofy, but it's because we're idiots rather than being <laughs> following Jesus. This is just true. You know. But there's sometimes that Jesus says, I want you to look goofy. And you, you and I need the wisdom to know the difference. Well, will we obey God, number four, when I have a bad track record? I remind you of Rahab the prostitute. It's interesting that that's what she was called, Rahab the once prostitute who has become the God-filled woman who is forgiven and the trajectory of her life has changed because what God did in her and through her. And she learned a lesson. Here's the lesson. My past does not determine my future. You and I have lists. Oh, I've done this, so I guess I'm out. Oh, I've done this and this and this. Okay, well, too bad. Get out of here. Some of you have been treated very poorly by churches and pastors because you've done certain things and they've said, you're now second rate, get out. We don't have people like that in our church. Well, we do. Starts with us as pastors and elders. Goofy. But we understand that the grace of God takes Rahab, the prostitute, and produces Rahab, the saint, who is in the genealogy of Jesus himself. She knew about grace. Amazing grace that we sing. That dude knew about grace because he was a slave trader. He knew he needed grace. He knew about grace. You and I know about grace. That's why we reach lost people with grace. I've had a bad track record. Good. Repent. Confess. Giddy up. Number five, will we obey God when it looks difficult? Joshua chapter 14, a couple pages to the right, talks about Caleb. Caleb, starting verse 10, Now then, as the Lord promised, he would keep me alive for the 40 years in the, in the wilderness while Israel moved around the desert. So here I am today. I am now 85 years old. I am strongest today as the day that Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go to battle. Now give me the hill country. 
Here's this guy, 85 years old. He said, the wusses can take care of the, of, the, of the valleys. I want the hill country. I've hiked in the hill country. Wow. Now let's talk to people who are old, 50 or up. I remember turning 50 and Diane, I said, Diane, I think I'm getting old. And her only comment was, getting? <laughs> no, you are old. Okay. To us old people over 50, there's a whack of young people in this church that need us. Here's the sad part, and I think it's demonic. The old goats think the young goats don't want us, and the old goats are intimidated by the young goats. And the truth is the young goats want the old goats to help them, but they don't know how to ask. And when they do ask, the old goats think it's different. And we have two groups of people that need and are made for each other, but neither of them will, whether it's pride or whatever else, I don't know. It's just downright wrong. Old goats. There's young men and women. A whole whack of them over here. They need discipline and to be discipled by you. You need to teach them how to pray. And you need to teach them how to run their finances. And teach them how to be men and women of God. And many don't. And the young goats need to realize that the old goats don't get everything right. But they have hearts that want to follow Jesus. You need to get into small groups with each other. Not with another whole bunch of old goats. You need to get with the young goats. And you will find a group of people that want to know and serve Jesus and have the exuberance that when you need to go to bed because it's 8 o'clock at night, they can continue <laughs> and keep doing really well. The Scripture tells us we need to do the difficult things like Caleb wanted. Discipling, mentoring, praying, because we're old enough to realize the grace and goodness and faithfulness of God takes prayer and commitment. Amen? So I call you not to retire, but to get involved and kick into the whole new realm of doing ministry. Now I've got to conclude. Did you know that there were three tribes that never came across the Jordan River? They stayed on the wrong side and were destroyed. Well, we're glad, and we'll send our guys to help you uh, kick everybody out and everything else. But when it comes right down to it, we like it the way it is out on the other side of the Jordan River. It was against what God wanted. But God kind of said, okay, then we'll do it with nine. And there was 12 others because of the children of Joseph, and there's some other guys you can look it up. Joshua chapter 1, verse 15, 12 to 15, talks about those three tribes. I got three questions. What's my Jordan? You and I need to know where our Jordans are and that prevent them from being a barrier and start them to be faith steps that we can trust God to work in us and through us. And this is where Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? We have to say, yes, you've told us what you want us to do. Then because I've commanded you this, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. Amen. We need to live that out in our lives. 
Secondly, who can I go with? I need a spiritual buddy. Now, not normally, but usually it won't be your spouse. I'm not saying against anything about your marriage or whatever else. There needs to be guys with guys and women with women as we find our spiritual soulmate that can walk with us through our Jordans. So always cross Jordans together, never alone. Thirdly, where is God asking me to take the first step? Not waiting for others, not waiting for the water to part, then I'll go, but taking risks in evangelism or discipleship or finances or health or whatever else it is. Where is God asking me to take the first step? Lastly, remember our heroes. The two dudes that stepped in first, we want to be like them. I don't even know their name. Their names are lost to history. But when we get to heaven, we'll figure that one out. Rahab, knowing that her past does not determine her future. And the same with us. And Caleb, he never got old in his head. Maybe in his body, but never in his head. He wanted God for the impossible, and he trusted God for the impossible. Let me conclude by reading Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. Some of the last words of Joshua. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers that you worship beyond the Jordan and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers be served beyond the Jordan or the gods of the Amorites or whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I'm asking you today to make that decision. Serve God. Be the first one in the Jordan. Go with your buddies. Be faith-filled. Go back in the Jordan and get more and yank them through that. We are I remind you, are the people of God. Our past, because of God's grace, does not determine the trajectory of our future. Jesus does. Whatever God is asking you to do today, as we close in prayer today, say yes. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit, now speak to my brothers and sisters in the quietness of this time. Whatever you're asking them to do, may they know your voice and may they just say yes some need to turn away from generational stuff some need to take a first step some need to find a friend some need to do something hard and difficult whatever you're asking them to do now say yes to God Lord, we thank you for books like Joshua, who challenge, which challenges us to be men and women of God. Where we have failed, may your grace cover us. Where we have waited, we pray that you would give us unction to do what you are asking us to do, whatever that is. We're asking you to protect us from doing what you don't want us to do. So speak to your people. And now, Lord, we ask that you would seal this to their hearts, the commitments that they are now making. 
and pray that many times they will think back to this place and this date when they made commitments to be your servant. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.